Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hello, this is Paul Hawksby. Hello, this is Andy Jacobs. Hello, yes, hello. I don't know why I just put hello in there after all this time, but I did. Um, thank you for uh, listening to us. It's the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. And we were joined by Justin Morehouse. He's popped up a few times. He's been out in Tokyo for the duration of the Olympics. And uh, he, he brought us a trouser update, amongst other things, didn't he? He did, and uh, he was on good form. Felix White from the Maccabees came in, yeah. talked cricket. He did. He's got a new book, lovely new book. Uh, he told us all about that. And there were wickets tumbling while he was on air with his old mate Jimmy Anderson in his pomp. And what else did we do? We spoke to Martin Kellner with his week of sport on TV, didn't we? So um, we'll bring you that. Here it all is. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. Oh, hello. <laughs> we got very loud then. <laughs> Fighting the music. That's a new thing. I speak and you put the music. <laughs> yeah, up. that's right. That's, it's a new. It's a new policy we've got here. <laughs> I've been really enjoying the. I've had obviously with my work situation, I've had a chance to really watch the Olympics. Mm. I don't know about you, but I've loved it. I think it's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And uh, you know, of course, everyone always says the same thing. It's true. Events that you don't normally know anything about, you get right into. And uh, I love the. Have you bought a skateboard. I haven't bought a skateboard yet. I love the. It's never too late, Andy. It's never too late. I mean, what a story that would be at the next Olympics. We had thirteen-year-old Sky Brown, sort of seventy-three-year-old Andy Jacobs. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Taking silver, going one better. You and Sky on the podium. She's gold. You're silver. Uh, My son used to love skateboarding. He was he was quite decent, I think, Mm. until he broke his wrist doing it. Okay, uh, can't put you off. But it it makes when they do what's called an ollie, it makes the most annoying noise. They're all crashing down. You could hear this going on and on outside our house for hours. You you know quite a lot of the terminology, which is great. So was it was uh, it the the more modern equivalent of just kicking a ball constantly against the garage door. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. yeah. The ethos in skateboarding is lovely. The way that they are to each other, yeah. it's quite it's quite moving, really. It's very unusual that, you know, and even when the bloke crashed into the cameraman last night and, mm. you know, he had a big smile on his face. You imagine if a footballer did that or a cricketer, they'd be sort of quite angry with him. Get out of the way, you know. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. They're all sort of, you know, it's, it's a very hippie-ish ethos to the whole I suppose, sport. I suppose that's not a massive surprise isn't no, it really not yeah really, yeah, yeah. No. so uh, yeah that was, that's very enjoyable what else have you got into andy the omnium 
Oh, yeah. You into the Omnium? What about the Madison? For me, We're the world is the just a great big Omnium. I'm oh, going to yeah. get it out. <laughs> and the shot put. Imagine throwing a £16 ball, 23 metres. I was thinking yeah, about this. In a cowboy like, hat. <laughs> I can't even get a cricket ball to go 22 yards. No. So I was quite impressed with he that. He's quite a character, isn't he? The, yeah, uh, he's good. The yeah. US shot putter. Second one, he's won. So that's been good. Uh and also the triple jump. It puts Jonathan Edwards into perspective. In 1995... It's about time somebody did. Well, he, he jumped 59 foot 5, or 18.16, whereas mm. the bloke who won yesterday only jumped uh, 17.98. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, that was good. Uh, we, so, we watched a, a, quite a sad little bit of footage earlier on in the office in the modern pentathlon. Well done to Kate French. Obviously, she benefited. Yeah. I didn't find that. it as sad as you did. I couldn't care less. I just, basically, the, the German uh, um, uh, modern pentathlete went out there on her horse to do her thing, yeah. <clears throat> and the horse didn't fancy it. It just clearly didn't fancy it for whatever reason. Yeah. The horse had decided that day he didn't want to play ball and wouldn't jump the fences. No. And she was doing it and started going backwards at one point. She was just riding round them. Yeah, because you're just trying to get the horse's confidence up, yeah, I guess. But, and, but the horse just didn't want to know. And they're like, she's in floods, not the horse, obviously. The woman's in floods of tears. Yeah. And uh, it, it was quite a sad little thing. You know, you, you know, yeah. you, for four years, you've built four years, and then, you know, but you are dealing essentially with an animal, and it's going to make yeah. its own mind. But applying up. the normal Olympic standards, she wasn't British, so who cares? So it doesn't matter. It doesn't okay, count. Fair enough. Well, I, thank you for <laughs> pointing that out to me. <laughs> the, uh, see, Chelsea played Spurs pre-season, and and, uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. It was two 0 before Chelsea made a lot of changes, yeah. and then Spurs well, you, you got back on, into it. You brought on Ron Harris and uh, <laughs> Peter Rhodes Brown. Well, didn't I you? do say that the second goal shouldn't have counted because Bakayoko was on the pitch. Oh, is that a rule? How can he still be there? Yes, yeah. apparently he was absolutely awful, mm. and people. Sort of well, it was a morale boosting, boosting fight back for us anyway, I must say, even though it was when you brought on a lot of players yeah. that don't normally get a game, but, but still. This, if this match report said uh, it showed why Roman Abramovich is again ready to splash out as they blew a 2-0 lead against Tottenham. <laughs> well, not really. You know, there wasn't really wasn't one player there that will be in the Chelsea squad, I don't yeah, think. it's not a big deal. No. So. It's anyway. pre-season. Um, we're going to say, we're going to keep you in touch with events mm. uh, at the games. And we've got the 4 by 100 men's and women's relay finals on our watch, which we look forward mm. to. Laura Muir, <coughs> excuse me, Laura Muir in the 1500, Jody Williams in the 400, Andrew Bouchard, I think, is currently in the 5,000 metres. So we'll keep an eye on all this yeah. for you. We've got the cricket but, oh, unfolding. I know I you're mean, enjoying it. Well, it's so annoying. You know, they get back into it. Should have been 125 for five. Sibley, and what's the point, mate? And take, drops a catch that, you know, he really should take. It was pretty straight. We had to dive, but he it was a good height and he got there. That would have made such a difference. And then they miss a run out. So it should be something like 150 for seven, instead mm. of which, you know, they'll probably end up scoring 250, 300, and that'll be enough to So we've lost this the game. game already. Oh, we'd lost, it, we'd lost this game first morning. <laughs> in your favour. I told John Norman... Miss- we do miss home. your sunny disposition. I told disposition. you normally be home by Saturday. <laughs> Can I finally end with this lovely one from the Times? I love these, the uh, Times uh, Court Circular. Oh, yeah. Hatch matched and dispatched, as mm. they call it. This is a lovely story about a little girl uh, born to Catherine and Alastair Dolphin. Wow. And they called the child India Fleur. But I thought they should have called her Philippa. They call her Philippa. Yeah, that, Philippa. that would be good. That's <laughs> nice. Philippa Dolphin. Yeah, yeah that would have worked, wouldn't it? The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Team GB, it's been a bit of a medal fest for them, which has meant mm. our next guest has been a busy man. Lovely. Uh, because he's been chatting to all the medalists uh, in his uh, role out there in Tokyo. We check in once again with another postcard from Japan. Justin Morehouse, comedian Manchester United fan, joins us. Hi, Justin. Hi, guys. Good evening. Live from the Shibuya Stream Excel Hotel in downtown Shibuya. Beautiful. Amazing. Yeah, you've been, you've been out and about. You've been you've been let off the leash, Andy tells me. He's been following you on Instagram. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I've just had a very uh, disappointing 45-minute uh, walk to a restaurant which was closed when I got there. Because oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> everything closes at 8 o'clock. Uh, yeah, so we've been out and about. But I've got, I've got an update on the trousers scenario. Right. Okay. So, Andy, you weren't aware of this. Charlie was on the other day. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned that I'd got these trousers that I... You remember what I said, don't you? Uh, that they were the best trousers I'd ever got. That's right, They yeah. held me in a way that I'd never been held. They, <laughs> That's right. They held me in a way which made... They held me in a way which made me feel wanted. <laughs> anyway, so... It's beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you, you two are men of the world, and you, mm. you've been around uh, production, and, you, you know, there is uh, people called fixers. Yeah. So, uh, when you... When you're out and about, you've got to have feet on the ground, which we've got here. We've got a, an amazing uh, an assistant called Miho, and she was the one who got me the trousers. And I, and I said to her, I said, I want to get some more of those. And they're a very famous Japanese brand. Mm. So she took me to a place, which is the equivalent of <clears throat> Bond Street. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked in and the guy just looked at me and he just laughed. <laughs> and he just said, no. Not for, your, is, not for your size. Size no. is a little bit smaller in Japan. <laughs> yeah. A little bit smaller, yeah. I mean, the, the, the word that I mean, I've been embarrassed more, once when I was in Shanghai, which I know is a different country, but it's still the Far East, I had a, a massage of a blind guy. This is what they train people to do in mm. China. And when he finished the massage, he said, I'm very sorry, sir, I'm going to have to charge you extra. And I said, why is that? He said, you're a lot fatter than you sound. <laughs> <laughs> is that really what he said? <laughs> That's a really true story. Anyway, <laughs> Japanese. So, so I left there. Yeah, so yeah, go on. I came back and I spoke to Miho and I explained my predicament. Mm. Now, the problem is in Japan is that honour and the culture of being polite is everything. And she couldn't bring herself to tell me what the problem was. And eventually I, I got out of it. I said, I want to get take me to the place where, where I got these trousers from. <laughs> and so today we took a 45-minute journey mm. to the Tokyo equivalent of high and mighty. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. That's for sorry, that's overweight. I, I think I went shopping where the sumos imagine. go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> is this the, are these, I, these beige I mean, ones you're wearing? Is it those? It is the beige ones, yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah. Thanks for noticing. So it's, oh, it's, it's nice. a supportive chino, oh, basically. Big turn up. See, Japanese fashion is great. I don't know if you've seen Nihau's reports on, you wouldn't yeah. have seen these, Justin, but on BBC. And I'm sure he's gone to Harajuku and kitted himself out. He's wearing the most amazing clothes. Right. I, I love Japanese fashion. He's a different shape to Justin. Yeah. Well, he Nihau. is. A problem, it's yeah. a, but the thing is, it's a real, it is a very loose kind of, like the skater kind of look. So you can wear the chinos, you can wear the mm. t-shirts. They love a good trainer. They love a good trainer yeah. and a kind of loose jacket. So, uh, so yeah. So I went to the shop today and I got three pairs and wow. uh, I'm, I'm set. I'm set for life now. So you, you I mean, I, you know, they're they're easily stain in that colour, won't they? So you're you're gonna have to prepare for a boil wash at some point, I think, on those. I mean, <laughs> well, you're a man who doesn't drop things down himself much. Well, I'll be honest with you, with the gut I've got, it never gets to the trousers. <laughs> <laughs> they, do look, the they, they do look a lovely trouser. There's a picture, Andy just showed me a picture of you and uh, Max Whitlock. That was a lovely story. It's been some great stories oh, yeah. out of the games, but he, he's, he is something else. I mean, again, we're, we're Laura Kenny as well again today. We've got some stars. Well, yeah, we? I mean, I've said this before, the, the big names are incredible, but what I've enjoyed about these games have been the breakout stars and mm. the breakout sports. Uh, we've met the BMXers. And they were brilliant. Emily Campbell, what a story that was. We met her the other day, uh, the first ever Team GB uh, medalist in weightlifting. Mm. And oh, mark my words, great. she is going to be a superstar. Mm. Uh, you know, lifting weights or not lifting weights. She, what a brilliant person she is. She's going to be absolutely great. And uh, mm. today I met some canoeists. So I've learned all about canoeing and kayaking. I'll tell you something, chaps. Uh, the debates moves on. You know, when you have to try and describe canoeing and kayaking. The, mm. The kind of comparison you would make in our day was, you know, ba 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 ba, wasn't it? We yeah. go for that one. <laughs> yeah, yes. Or the old Guinness advert. Yes. But now the guy goes, you know, I can poke a hunters. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> it's a different <laughs> reference point. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Not a way. So we met. Uh, we, no, no, no. Mm. So we we we, we met uh, Liam Heath today, uh, which is his third Olympics, third medal. Um, uh, a very level-headed man and and uh, and, a, and a new uh, canoeist called Deborah Kerr, which uh, oh. a, a name familiar to many listeners, mm. but it's not her. <laughs> uh, <she's>, uh, <laughs> I'd be surprised. Yeah, really, that would be amazing. Yeah. We we did, we, did, we did ask the listeners the other day after Sky Brown got a medal at thirteen, what they'd achieved by the age of thirteen, and one of the better ones we had yeah. was uh, at thirteen, I was still eating mud for a dare. 
I mean, it does put in, it does put in a perspective. It's lovely to know one of our listeners at 13 was eating mud for a dare with one of their mates. But, but did you, did she pass by the um, in, in sort of GB house where you do your interviews? Did you see her as well? Uh, no, she didn't. She didn't. And I mean, I think she's got Japanese connections anyway. She's mm. Japanese. Uh, one of her, her I think her it's mom, her mum yeah. or her dad. Her mum is Japanese, so mm. I think she probably knows her way around. Yeah. She doesn't need looking at her. <laughs> Like, like like Bradley did from who came to us from Doncaster, our first guest. He went, "Is it free food?" Yeah, and we said, "Yeah, yeah." I love the wagyu. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Have you been to any department stores yet? There's I can't remember. It's a very famous department store in Tokyo, and underneath is this food hall that is, you know, it's fantastic. Lots of free samples. I think even you'll Ooh. find something to eat there. That's a really nice thing to Andy? do. Andy. Andy, that's where I've just walked 45 minutes to. When I got there, it was closed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you only would have dropped soy yeah. on your keks, your new keks. So that wouldn't <laughs> have been you have, I mean, looking at your Instagram, you've met everybody. I mean, you've met all the big medal winners. Yeah. It is yeah. great. It must, that must be fun. Well. It is fun. And what's nice as well is that, uh, you know, I don't, as you might guess, I'm not doing a big sport interview with them. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to talk to them like... I'm trying to represent the person who sat at home on the sofa watching it and being enthralled by it. And I feel like as well, I spoke to somebody today and I think I've missed out on the kind of buzz because I think these Olympics, especially because people are waking up to them, hmm. it's kind of giving everybody a boost in the morning, isn't it? When we yeah. need it, you know, everyone's a bit down in the dumps. Everyone's getting this, this boost. And, um, but it's just great watching sport on a big screen and, and just seeing this. I love the cycling myself. I don't know about you. And I've never been, I've, I've never been in a room where people were cheering at sailing yeah just everybody's up in the thing it's like that you know that that, that cl very close one yeah it was amazing uh, and when max whitlock yeah. when max whitlock was doing his medal there was a big crowd watching that and when the poor irish lad who's who's uh, hotly tipped to be the next big thing slipped mm. everybody cheered and i went come on you can't yeah. do that that's like <laughs> cheering a double follow wimbledon is it you can't do that <laughs> so when do you head back how many I mean, it's all over on sunday isn't it yeah, so we got we we're obviously going to make a recap mm. uh, and, and a best of because you know you always get a squeeze of value out of the artist. Yes, indeed. Um, so then we've got, <laughs> and then I think uh, I think uh, plays were very expensive on Monday, so uh, I'm coming home on Tuesday. Then right back, I I've got gigs at the weekend wow. and uh, booked, booked up solid till Christmas, which is which is really good. I'm really kind of looking forward to getting back into the swing of things and. And of course, I'll be back for guess the attendance on Sunday. Don't miss it. Of course, you'll be. You're, I mean, your your gigs will be full of Olympians now, won't they? Front row, Tom Daly, Max Whitlock, all your new chums, and <laughs> all be at the friends. gigs. <laughs> can I can I be really honest with you? Like when you have a gang of people like these, and these are dedicated, single-minded, great people. Hmm. When you have to explain you're a comedian to them, you, you, <laughs> it's never good, is it? <laughs> no, probably not. I'm a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well. Well, well look, well, it sounds like it's been an amazing trip, uh, Justin. Thanks for chatting to it's us. It's been right? incredible. We will catch yeah, up with you soon. So you'll be back, back. Sunday. You'll mm. guess the attendance, and, and we will catch up with you soon. Thanks very much. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on the cricket uh, with our next guest in the studio. I haven't seen him for a while. Um, he is uh, the uh, former guitar player of the Maccabees, a huge uh, cricket and uh, Fulham fan. He has now uh, written a book called It's Always Summer uh, Somewhere, a matter of life and cricket. Felix White, good to see you, Felix. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back again. It's you, been... you changed it. You're a different place. Since we are. Time. That's so right. We moved. You, but you found us. Same yeah. old show there. <laughs> <laughs> Same old, yeah. Nothing much has changed. <laughs> it, it's, it's a difficult book to 
kind of described because it is about cricket and it is about music and it's a kind of memoir it's your life yes. uh, interviews with cricketers and it's about sort of grief it's a, it's about a lot of things I mean is it the book you set out to write no not at all Paul and it's an interesting question because the way it came about I'd never envisaged I'd ever write a memoir style book ever in my life and it just came about because I'd ghostwritten Jimmy Anderson's book mm. and the publishers were like do you want to write your own cricket book? So we had this like half an hour meeting where I kind of sketched out in my head, maybe I could write a sort of high fidelity style book, but about cricket. Mm. So rather than talking about records, just talk about how the games articulated something in my life. The problem was, I thought it was going to be like lighthearted and flippant, which it is in part. But what I hadn't really checked with myself really is that all feelings that I've attached to cricket or football for that, or music, eventually lead back to processing my mum's death when I was a teenager. Hmm. So it became an exploration on why and how do we put feelings into the places we do, and what is it actually about? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, this love of cricket, where, where did you get that from? Well, yeah, I mean, that's um, <laughs> another interesting question. I used to, um, used to be on terrestrial television when I was younger, so I think a lot of people my age have a different kind of relationship with a game because it was literally on all of the time. And I used to get um, on car journeys with my, to my grandparents every Sunday. We used to listen to the Beatles in the car, but I didn't know what the Beatles looked like. And I'd get to my grandparents, turn the TV on, and there'd be these little slip cordons in the corner of the screen, I think, that's probably what the Beatles looked like. So cricket, <laughs> the and music, yeah. the Fab Four, Jack Russell, Phil DeFreitas, Michael Atherton. So I was always like merging the two things, even from that point in my head. Um, and fortunately for me, just to go back to the point I first made, as you know, the England team lost a lot in the 90s. Mm. In fact, they lost all the time. So it became really interesting to me that I became so attached to this team when I was sort of trying to process my own loss that I couldn't with my, with my mum dying. And it was interesting that I could feel through the England cricket team because I was watching these men sort of process this feeling all the time, you know. Mm. And you've gone back and mm. spoken to some of these people in these moments and mm. kind of seeing it through there as like Nasser and Michael Atherton and, and, and Phil Tufnell. Yeah, so when I talk about a specific moment, whatever it might be, um, I go and meet the cricketer. And that's taken in like 15 cricketers, some of the real greats of the game, Kumar Sangakara, as you say, Atherton, Hussain, Phil Tufnell. But then some lesser known names, that like Alan Wells. Do you remember Alan Wells? Mm. The mid-90s yeah, English cricketer. Mm -hmm. So he, um, he batted in one test match right at the end of his career and he got a first baller from Curtly Ambrose. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> such is life, right? He'd be well at home now. And exactly, yeah, he'd belong in this team. So Honestly, he, you, you mentioned the Beatles, but I think Paul McCartney would have taken that one. Joe Roots just dropped. <laughs> 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 he could Alan. well have done. Yeah. So, yeah, you're saying Alan Wells. Sorry, so mm. Alan Wells, yeah. right, He um, when he got out first ball, he took his helmet off, walked towards the camera and said sorry into the lens. Wow. And now really? as a 10-year-old, I watched it on my own and I was I swore he did it, but no one was around to see it. Mm. And I felt so moved that I felt like I needed to tell him Wells he didn't need to be sorry. So I phoned him anyway, like 25 years later doing this book. And he tells me he did say sorry and he meant, he meant it for his children because he didn't want them to have to witness that failure. 
Mm. And I just so so the book kind of spirals into all these little um, dissections of the human condition, really. Yeah. You know? Do you, do you um, what, what have the Maccabees fans made of the book? The ones that have sort of fed back to you because you're you know it tells yeah. the story of the band and and you, you write about the the kind of farewell tour and the last gig at Alexander Palace and stuff. So it's yeah stuff about you within the context of the band as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I think in general, I think Maccabees fans have like thought it's a bit of a U-turn that I've suddenly got so involved in cricket for the last <laughs> few years, which I myself have, but um, but it did turn into the second half of the book is basically about the adventures of the Maccabees. Mm. And the final gig at Ali Pali, the important thing about that, I thought, was that it's 15 years, the end of a band, end of your life, and that was really the only time I began to feel what happened to my mum all that time earlier. Mm. So that's like an exploration on how we store grief sometimes, you know, and like 20 years after the fact, sometimes you can feel it as if it was yesterday or it just happened. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting from that perspective. And what have, your, what have your family yeah. made of the book? Because you say it's become a very different book. They, you probably, they probably said, oh yeah, Felix is writing a cricket book and then they read it, but it's, yeah. it's something very different. Man, I was so nervous about sending this to people because there's so much stuff that I haven't said out loud to anyone before, including my family family and the Maccabees um, but we had this amazing I sent it to everyone because I didn't want anyone to feel like oh is Jimmy taking a wicket he has we're going to yeah, the details of the yeah. um, <laughs> but I, I did so I sent it to all my uh, family and friends we had these amazing conversations clearing what had happened and what I'd thought and um, so I had a re- and I think that's what it was about really just telling all these people that I love them mm. you know yeah. Well, let's get details of that wicket because I'm sure you'd like to know as well as us. Yeah. Uh, Come on, Jim. Uh, John Norman, how did it all happen? Wow, two Fulham fans and cricket fans <laughs> yeah. on radio at the same time. What a time to be alive. And <laughs> finally, Rahul has been caught. Jimmy Jeez. Anderson with the delivery. Uh, Rahul with a, an outside edge taken behind the stumps. Uh, it was pitched up on about a, a fifth or sixth stump line. Rahul didn't really need to play it. He came forward. And uh, off he trudges. So finally, Rahul, um, who should have been caught on 52, should have been caught on 78. Well, uh, he has been caught on 78. Off, oh, no, he's been caught on 84. End of a, of a fine knock, when you, uh, when you remember. He only came into the side because of injury. But England have struck. Uh, India still lead. It's a healthy one. 22 runs. They've got four wickets in hand. But Rahul departs. 205 for six here, India. Uh, Trent Bridge. Mm. It really Good highlights stuff. the difference between the teams, doesn't it? KRL would walk into the England team. I mean, honestly, yeah. he'd, he'd be first name on the sheet apart from Root. You know, yeah. and, the, and he can only just get in the Indian team. It does show you there's a difference. Well, there's been a lot of chat, Felix, hasn't there, about... The, the effects of I know you've been involved with a hundred and all that you know we all love the the, the hit and giggle sort of cricket but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's affecting the test team there's no question about it. I mean, I'd say this is the worst England test team I've ever seen I mean I really mean do you think it's the schedule of it I mean do you think it's the fact that they didn't have any build up uh, time because they wanted them to play in the early games you've got of the players playing like the calendar is so bad isn't it you've got Butler it's his first red ball knock of the season yeah. no wonder he's looking he wasn't looking too good in white ball cricket but well I mean, the worrying thing about that I think is we have haven't felt the effects of the 100 really if you're thinking about it from a test perspective that will happen in a few years mm-hmm. I think what you've seen in the test team now is that it's been short format they prioritise short form cricket mm-hmm. and they have won the World Cup so that's worked but we're trying to it's not for the ashes this winter they'd be better off mm-hmm. yeah if, I mean uh, it's a bit of a, a perfect storm of, of a World Cup White Ball World Cup and an Ashes all basically on top of each other. Yeah, we are yeah. missing some very good players <clears throat> yeah. Archer's a big miss Stokes is a yeah. massive miss yeah, yeah, and yeah. even Wokes you know, I, I like Robinson. I think he's done. Well. Can I just say, as we're watching Jimmy run in, we're still in this. 
Come on, England. Come Absolutely. on, Jimmy. Well, not Whatever Jimmy's got the ball. <laughs> I, the book you wrote with him, I, he, he came yeah. in and saw us. And I, I, oh, I, I was saying to the boys yesterday how much yeah. I enjoyed the book, The Bowl, Sleep, Repeat. That was the book you wrote with him. Sure, yeah. yeah. And he had some great stories in it. And uh, he, he is a phenomenon, really, isn't he, Jimmy? People didn't like him saying the other day before this test match, it was his missus who... Talked him into carrying on playing, mainly because right. she doesn't want him around the house. But <laughs> but it, it, he's an amazing, he's an amazing physical specimen, isn't he? It, keep doing what he does at his age. He is, he really is, and the, um, becoming friends with Jimmy. Actually, the amazing thing of that has been, uh, um, it is sort of inspiring how it feeds into your own life because he genuinely thinks that he can. There's no reason that he can keep going, mm. and so when you're talking to someone like that regularly, it does sort of go into your own life. Think, hang on. Maybe I can just do that as well. Obviously, I can't do what Jimmy does. No one can. But it is his attitude that is infectious in some way, you know. Yeah. And this kind of second act from your point of view, you know, because a guitarist in a very successful band and mm. you kind of go out as a band at the height of your powers and you're probably thinking, well, kind of what next? But it's interesting that, well, I know you've got a record label and you still write and play music, but you've got this kind of alternative career in, in something you love. So you're, you're lucky, really, aren't you? Man, and do you know what I feel like? I feel like cricket, but I put so much love and I thought I'd wasted so much of my life in for like 20 years. I sort of come back to save me in a way mm. for all the stuff we're doing. And I feel really sort of moved by that. And I think sometimes the things that we pour love into in sport do do that on occasion. They come out mm. and they help you out, you know, and that's what I feel like the last few years. Yeah, and the book's, like. the book's been described as a love letter to cricket. And I think people, you love football, but people, I think people feel differently about cricket than they do about football. Yes, it's an interesting point. I used to always get asked, what do you like more, cricket or football? And I used to say, I like cricket much more than football, but I think I might like Fulham more than cricket. That's interesting. <laughs> and there's something in that, well, isn't it, about how you feel about the same the two sports. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just a quite a word on Fulham then. Under new management, as most of the teams in the championship are. How are you how are you feeling about this season? Well, I've been told we're favourites to go back up. I didn't okay. look, as champions even. I think Marco Silva plays good football, doesn't he? I think it was a good time to make that change. I know you never know because all the, all the players come in have said they've come for Marco Silva. That could easily just be what he's saying in press release or whatever. Yeah, they all say that. But um but I feel like we're gonna play some good football and we should be I mean playoffs minimum isn't it surely you, yeah, yeah you would You'd think so, so. Yeah, yeah you would think so so well look we wish you well with the book Felix lovely to see you again yeah lovely to Continue be here success. see you again I'll see you another few years when I've done something else yeah. for <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's, it's always uh, summer somewhere a matter of uh, life and cricket is out now I take it it is Brilliant. good to see you the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast Tom Daly has, has taken up knitting um, with a vengeance but did you see that cardigan he made it was fantastic sensational wasn't it honestly it was a beautiful he garment could, he should that, be producing that, those I mean, it was top quality a team of like-minded yeah. knitters in it was absolutely a pro you'd pay a lot of money for a garment yeah, like that he's obviously really nice. turned his hand to it literally and, got, and has got very good at it yeah so, uh, impressive yeah nice relaxing thing to do what's your knitting like Andy I can't knit and uh, <laughs> Sue loves knitting and mm. uh, she, she's Got into it when she got came back from hospital. She she knitted, but she just kept knitting. And I said, "What are you knitting?" She said, "I don't know." <laughs> just was basically, like, just it was basically an eight foot long scarf. <laughs> it was massive. <laughs> you can be the new Doctor Who, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I could on that basis. But I was impressed. Did you see uh, mm. Colin Hart today? We've done pretty well in the boxing. We've yeah. got more medals to go for uh, tomorrow in the in the uh, Olympics, and uh, he's calling for Rob McCracken, who's the trainer of the the British team as well as Anthony Joshua to to get a knighthood. 
He has done a great Roy job. Sarab, hasn't he? he has done a great job over a long period of time, hasn't he, with our teams? So. But you making the point about the Cubans, they're, they're yeah. always so brilliant. We thought, they, well, we thought of having that conversation today because there would be a lot of people out there who don't particularly follow boxing and they keep thinking, well, Cuba don't really excel at anything else sports wise, really. Why are they so good at boxing? Um, and, you know, it's a complex question which mm-hmm. we probably need an expert to answer. But the bottom line is they, they retain their amateur status because of the nature of the politics in the country. And the people that win the golds and stand out then stay mm. in the system. They become coaches or they become administrators. So all that expertise stays in that sort of silo, if you like. So no one ever steps away from it. So you pass that on to the next generation. So that the heavyweight division today, a brilliant performance by the, the Cuban winning today and but there's things going on in the country politically now there's been a slight difference since Castro died mm. and there's there's been kind of slight difference and a thawing and there's been political um, protests I mean I don't know if they're going to go anywhere but um, you do wonder whether I mean in the scheme of things whether it affects their boxing or not is not the point but you wonder if it would you wonder if suddenly you see more uh, well, fighters more turning turn pro, pro yeah, and, and it wouldn't be quite the sort of hothouse it is but they are amazing they, they for years and years from Teofilo <laughs> Stevenson and, and before they've produced brilliant boxers haven't they they have um, and of course the Olympics and various other things have brought out the best in the uh, writers to tab newspapers and uh, this bloke Steve wrote to the star with this one he says I've just noticed walking is an Olympic sport what next Olympic napping on the sofa (laughs) what do you mean you just know it's been in the Olympics since 1904 mate <laughs> These people are so ignorant on it. It's quite incredible. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. About the sport on TV this mm, week. We've been enough of it. Well, that's <laughs> going to be covered now by Martin Kellner, squad number nine. Good afternoon, Martin. Good afternoon to you, boys. Um, just a word on that Lions, uh, the deciding test. Oh, yes. Obviously, uh, tomorrow. If you can't get near a radio to listen to um, Talk Sports Live and exclusive coverage mm. and you're forced to watch it on TV, mm. um, Miles Harrison's back, which is yes. great. I know Miles well and we worked together at the BBC. It's a nice story, yes. Top, top guy and mm. he's been uh, yeah, having treatment for bowel cancer. He's back doing oh, really? that and uh, he's written stuff in the papers about how how agonising it is watching those two test matches at home. So he'd back. So, good uh, stuff. Yeah, obviously you'll be listening yeah, on uh, We wish him well. Yeah, so he's back. Um, on the uh, on the Olympics, there was a, you know, which I, as I mentioned last week, um, I think we're getting enough of it on the BBC. I'm not really worried about uh, the fact that some stuff they can't cover. Mm. It does leave leave them with some um, annoying situations, such as when uh, Carsten Warholm, the uh, Norwegian, yeah. uh, had that fantastic fantastic run on. I think it was Tuesday morning. Mm. Uh, they didn't have that; they didn't have it live, so they covered it with stills, you know, rather mm. like you do with the boxing that. Sort yeah. of thing, so they covered it with stills, but they had their reporter in Tokyo, beautiful sunshine over the uh, harbour front, and all that. Mm. And they cut from her with beautiful pictures to uh, Michael Johnson live in Manchester. Oh. And I thought it's completely <laughs> the wrong way around, you don't cut from Tokyo to Manchester, you know, you do it the other way, but anyway. Uh, so there's been some embarrassing situations like that, mm. but I think by and large. Given the reduced circumstances of the coverage, which I think the BBC's big mistake was not being more open about all that at the start. Yeah. You know, because in the run up to the Olympics, they did give the impression it was full coverage, such as we've had in the past. Mm. But apart from that, I think uh, Gabby Logan, especially, has done a terrific job yeah. with Michael Johnson and 
Denise Lewis, really, really good. So um, I'm not complaining. No, no, no. no. I, I've been watching the highlights show in the evening. I think it's excellent. And I mean, there's been a lot of stuff about Alex Scott, but I think she's yeah. great. I mean, from a producer's point of view, I just think she needs a little bit of help with mm. the auto cue. But I think in, in her ter- in her personality and no matter about how she speaks, it's what you say, not how no. you say it. Mm. I don't have any of that. But there was a funny, trouble was there was a funny yeah. one this week though that did make me laugh. She said she was handing over to Ronald McIntosh and Richie Woodall, and she went over to Ronnie <laughs> McIntosh and Richie Wood. All with the commentary. <laughs> well, she's right. She's technically yeah, right. They were all yeah. there. All there with the commentary. I think the, the problem with, with Alex Scott is she went to the uh, Sir Alf Ramsey Trevor Brookings School of Languages <laughs> where the G at the end of words completely... Uh, it doesn't spoil my enjoyment of no, her work. No, no, of course I'm not bothered yeah. about that. But, uh, no, let's all not get ourselves... I think, I think I'm, I'm sure Lord Digby Jones <laughs> will be ringing it's in. marvellous, yeah. I love Lord Digby Jones. Yeah, yeah. His commentary is fantastic. Isn't it Mitchell and Webb? It wasn't, was it? Anyway, keep going. A bit like... Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, the other thing I watched, mm. a brand new uh, a document or a newish documentary on Sky Sports mm. was Spinwash 1993, oh. which is the story of the disastrous tour to uh, India in uh, the early months of 1993. Some of you may, you know, it's the classic days of Gaps and Gucci and Tuffers, and it was that mm. team. Mm. And um, let's say the the uh, preparation wasn't what you would get for an overseas <laughs> tour these days. No. Uh, and mostly what you got were um, full frontal shots of your cricketing heroes vomiting into buckets. Oh, there were lots fantastic. of that if you enjoy that. <laughs> um, but basically what it was, a bizarre thing was as the tests went so badly, you know, mm. and it was a disastrous tour, uh, morale remained remarkably high. It was all um, it was all uh, Dermot Reeve did the footage so yeah. it was all amateur amateur footage and it'd been um, sort of stitched together uh, Mike Atherton who was on the tour but um, didn't do a great deal on the tour but he stitched the thing together so it was it was sort of contemporary commentary from these days on this amateur video that uh, Dermot Reeve did. And uh, as I said, a lot of uh, scenes of uh, of cricketers vomiting into uh, buckets. When you were telling Paul it's about it, it's great, actually. I thought you'd said, I, I'm going to do Springwatch 1993. <laughs> I think Chris Packham was about Chris, 12. He would have been yeah. Bill Oddie in his pump. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. But I think the, th- the thing about this, uh, this documentary was, it's really interesting. A, if you're interested in the history of, of sport on TV, which as I mentioned a couple of times in the past, I did do a book about mm, yeah. But it was Sky, it was overseas cricket tours which really sold Sky to the rest of the country because people forget that, you know, the Premier League only started in 1992, mm. so it's only really one year after the start of Sky Sports in earnest. And it was the cricket tours, the overseas cricket tours, which sort of sold Sky uh, to sports fans generally. Because you may remember, I think you're both old enough to remember the joke, you know, what's grey and hangs off the end of a Sky dish? The answer is a council house. Because (laughs) it it was an old joke, a classist sort of chav-type joke. Mm. Because the only people who were getting Sky dishes in the early days were um, people in council houses. Mm. People like me wanted to watch the rugby league. But... it was that sort of thing. But the overseas cricket tours... So it was the, the sort of, if you like, the inception of Sky Sports as a major player. But it was also the uh, Indian economy, which, you know, the, uh, India went through 
what is a sort of um, economic miracle mm. round about the early 90s. So at the time, so, but in, in cricket and in everything, uh, in terms of their cricket coverage in 93, was just the state broadcaster and was pretty rubbish, yeah. you know. Um, but by 1993 and that tour, it sort of, kick-started the uh, media, if you like, in India, yeah. and also, you know, the broadcast media, and also kick-started Sky TV to me. But there's some hilarious moments here. You were talking about the drop catch earlier on. Yeah. Mike Gassing's dropped catch in that is just phenomenal. I don't know whether you remember it in the, no, no, uh, in the third test. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and there's loads of footage of him going around trying to explain to people how it happened. Oh, his but son it, got his eyes. Well, it was it. It was partly the son <laughs> and it was also partly the fact they were all woozy <clears throat> because, you know, yeah. they'd all had food poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yes. They went through the whole tour with, there was the famous Gatting's prawns. He had some prawns <laughs> the <laughs> night before the third test. Um, so anyway, so Imagine the, the havoc they would have wrought on Gat. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, my mummy lads is on uh, Gatting's prawns in the 315 at Utah. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be nearly out of time. Yeah, what I about know, Arnold's blue? What's Arnold's blueprint? Is Arnold's that a horse you've had some money is, on? No, it's not. It's <laughs> yeah. a 30 for 30 uh, short. If you, okay, you know, right, okay. Short. Like those, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're very good. And it's all about he... It's a film... Uh, made by, it says at the start, it's almost like a foreign movie because at the start it says, a film by the Zimbalist brothers. Oh, which Ephraim sa- Zimbalist Jr. No, not them at all. They're <laughs> the Zimbalist That's brothers. Well, here's another one for the teenagers. <laughs> yeah. The Zimbalist brothers uh, sounds to me like a, a juggling act on Kenneth Williams' uh, International Cabaret. <laughs> yeah. So anybody who mentions <laughs> Kenneth Williams. And then possibly later the Paul Daniels show. Yeah, yes. they are. The Zimbalist brothers. The Zimbalist brothers. From Anyway, it's it's. Um, I, I don't want to take take too much of your time no. with this. I'll maybe tell you about it. It's next. worth watching. <laughs> it's, worth watching. <laughs> it's worth watching. It's yeah, you know, yeah. it's Arnie and it's Arnie and how he became the strong man and then oh, right. got into the movie Stay Hungry. You know, the Bob Rafelson movie. Oh. Lots of references with the yeah, teenagers. Yeah, it's yeah, a good yeah. film. That is a good it? film. Yeah. Really good film. So, Martin, uh, you are on overnight. Apparently so. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and you're here of... in the flesh today, so you'll be yes. broadcasting from the nerve centre. I'll be from the nerve centre. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. One a.m. to six a.m. Yeah. overnight tonight and I tomorrow. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Man of my calibre. Man of They're loving. So. They'll be watching the Olympics and following you in Kuala Lumpur. We and will beyond. keep you up to date with the games. We don't call it the Olympics, just no. the games. Just the games. Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. Be okay. In touch okay. With more that Thank you, Martin. Yeah. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Mike Ward is always bright and supporting. Uh, Mike Ward from. The star joins us. Good afternoon, Mike. I love your positivity. Yeah, afternoon, yes. guys. Um, now, it, it, again, you, it's impossible to talk about this show without mentioning Alan Partridge because it's motorhoming with Paul Merton and Suki Webster. I know. Um, it looks quite good, though. It's uh, all right, it's, actually, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, as you say, these titles... I mean, I'm sure they just do it deliberately now just to, to just yeah. to sort of wind up, you know, life in, imitating comedy. But, yeah, motorhoming with Merton and Webster... Paul Burton, Suki Webster, who uh, who go off in a motorhome. They've never owned or even driven a motorhome before, but for the next six weeks, they're touring the country, experiencing what it's like to sort of negotiate narrow lanes and to sleep in one of these things and cook in one of these things and do all your ablutions in one of these things and what have you. And um, yes, it's good fun. It's not it's low budget, I'll be honest. Mm. And you know, it's funny when you're watching two people who are performers who are married, because on the one hand, we as viewers expect them to kind of perform. But they can't do that with themselves in the you know in, in a motorhome for for six weeks. They're driving each other bonkers. So you get a slightly more low key. It's it's levity rather than belly laughs. But that works. I think it would drive you nuts right. otherwise. Um, yeah. But it's good fun. They start off in in Whitstable with some 
Oysters. Okay. That would be me out of the race straight away if I had oysters. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I never know where you'd... I've often fancied it, but I wonder where you'd park it. it yes. Thing, play, thing to well, I've, I've seen you park your Fiat 500. <laughs> <laughs> like a stock car taking about three or four people out. It was brilliant. Andy used to have this... He, he used to have this big old truck that he kept all his cricket gear in. A proper yeah. old like Mitsubishi truck. And uh, I'd noticed the back of it had quite a lot of dents in it. I said, uh, Andy, you want to get some parking sort of sensors and sort of... Uh, and he said, oh, I've got them. So <laughs> parking sensor, when it goes beep and yeah. it's screaming at you, that's not a sign for you to crash into the car behind. I don't forget that I had them all fixed, all the things fixed at the back, and then I was parking it, I think we were in Kensington somewhere, and I, the first day I got it back, I just smashed it yeah. completely. <laughs> yeah, don't get a motor home, mate. Yeah, and sometimes those sensors, you just think that means your, your windscreen wiper fluid needs stopping up. <laughs> Scream beep! Yes, uh, I'll do it next it's, time. It's, it's pretty <laughs> insistent. Uh, 8 pm Channel 5, there is. Yes. An hour before that, uh, oh. a show that was going to be called Celebrity 5 Go Fishing. Yeah. Um, is it any good, this? I saw a th- saw the trailer and I thought, mm, possibly, because I love uh, Vic and Bo- uh, Vic yeah. and Paul, rather. Yeah, it's it's not on the par with that because obviously that's all about their their you know relationship and that you know that stage of their life that they're at and the fishing is is, mm. is key but it's it's incidental in, in in certain ways. This is more like that that thing they what was it um, uh, real marigold hotel type of thing oh, okay. where because Rosemary Schrager's in it. She's she's always in these things, isn't she? Does a lot of these um, things. Yeah. Firm yeah. Britain, Les Dennis, Linford Christie, and Ian Botham is replaced by Shane Lynch from Boyzone for episode three <laughs> from the Pavilion. There, <laughs> yes, coming that's, that's Bob. Bob and Paul, I should say, not yes. the two yeah. that I got wrong. We, no, I knew what you meant anyway, um, which is uncanny. So um, Netflix give you Cooking with Paris. Yeah, oh, this is oh, taking oh, a bit of a can't be serious. This is taking a bit of a coating. This show, I'm, I'm not this surprised. Is, this is I just. It's it's fascinatingly ridiculous. You have to just watch, even if, you, if you've got Netflix, just watch a few minutes of it. Because you think, what's the point of this? It's it's like she sounds like Andy, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it, she's basically, um, yeah. She she invites a, cele- a different celebrity friend around to her her, her sort of fl- plush kitchen every week, mm. which clearly she doesn't. It doesn't know where anything is for a start. Kim Kardashian West <laughs> walks in straight straight away. Who who looks like the, the, you know the epitome of practicality compared to Paris Hilton, who stood there in all her fan- fancy sort of gowns and whatever. <laughs> no sign of anything as drably functional as an apron, you know, and she's never going to get splashed. It's bizarre. And they start off by making some uh, glitter-coloured blue marshmallow yeah. gloop, I think would be uh, the best description. I was, and- hoping, I was hoping this would be her running a fish and chip shop in Bridlington. <laughs> that's, uh, that's series two. I think that's, that's yeah, that being lined good, up. That would be great. That would be yeah. great to watch. So that's um, Netflix. You can watch that when you like or not. All, uh, all the, the time, yes. Yeah. Hmm. I do it now making a glitter-coated blue marshmallow, to which the answer is you are. <laughs> um, and so, what else we got? Uh, anything? Anything? Sort of I tell you, I do like yeah. on Sunday night. Mm. Secret World of Chocolate, oh, fascinating. Mm. If you like a bit of, um, well, I was just about to say if you like a bit of chocolate. I mean, just take me off air if I start talking <laughs> like that. Seriously, you know, it's all over. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, da- exactly. Dawn, yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Dawn French. That's what I thought you meant. Uh, no, I was just talking in cliches. Really, yeah. it's ridiculous. Uh, Dawn French um, narrates it because I think she, in, subconsciously we associate her with that advert she did years ago. Mm. Uh, but it's a story of how three of the UK's biggest manufacturers, which is obviously Roundry, Cadbury, and Mars, mm. have had this fierce rivalry. So it's about yeah. it's not just about people making things out of chocolate, which can get a bit tedious to watch after a while. Uh, especially, it's, it's sort of brown and gloopy when you watch it on telly. It's nothing very interesting. But basically, here it's the it's the business battle, and so you get the marketing things and the ideas that never quite. Do you remember the perky perky Nana bar? 
No, have you ever heard of that? Perky, I don't think I ever went there. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Koh Samui, isn't it? It's all a blur. I remember the uh, Amazing Raisin Bar mm. and the Aztec Bar. and various So you get to see some old adverts. There's a bit of nostalgia there as well. You also get a bit of sort of a trivia, such as the fact that Yorkie bars used to, were about to be called Trek until some wow. some relatively lowly figure decided to go to the boss and say, boss, I think this is a terrible idea. And also how, uh, you know, the Aero was uh, uh, rivaled by uh, Capri launching its own bubbly alternative in, wow. in the form of the Whisper. So it's sort of fascinating in the chocolatey kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. Um Well worth a look. And that's the first of uh, three episodes. Whether it will be as interesting for the next, next two, I don't know. But <laughs> well, I just... Channel, we've got to go. Oh, right. Channel 4, 8pm. Sadly, um, Mike, we're out of time. Cheers, guys. Uh, we'll catch you next week. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We'll do it all again on Monday. Andy will be back with me on Monday. Um, have a fine weekend, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.